athletes are kind of seen as like only that as only the physical pursuits, but it really encompasses, you know, all, all the mechanisms, mental, spiritual, and physical commitment, you know, overcoming and, and growth. So, you know, those guys just, just, just blossomed and they just hold themselves differently. They, they walk with their chin up. They're able to speak with, with more confidence to people. And that's something that I think sports gives, gives opportunity for. I was considered a little bit of a gambler, but it, I didn't see it that way. It was always like taking the information that's given and playing odds. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. Glad to have you along here for episode number 55. We're pumping here in November, and many of you will be enjoying Thanksgiving break while you listen to this particular episode. So let me just say that I'm incredibly thankful and grateful for this community of learners that we've all contributed to build. Really can't overstate what all of you mean to me, what high school sports meant to me as a player, uh, and what they mean to me now as a coach. If we all keep learning, if we all do this thing with the right outcome in mind, there's no reason we can't play a major role in helping improve society. Being a high school coach is one of the most noteworthy endeavors anyone can embark upon, and I'm grateful to all of those crazy enough to do it. So, thank you. And a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are huge markets for netting pros, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college, professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They're improving programs one facility at a time. This podcast is also sponsored by Driveline Plus. High school coaching is about effectively identifying and communicating what athletes need to do to improve. Driveline Plus is a growing and ever-changing library of the best information on baseball player development. Members will find how-tos on different baseball technology and the latest research findings from Driveline's lab, along with inside access to Driveline trainers to make sure you can effectively coach your team. Plus, members also get the best discounts that you can find on Driveline training gear. Listeners of this podcast can get $25 off their first year of Driveline Plus by using the coupon code HSCC. That's the letters HSCC for $25 off your first year of Driveline Plus. Go to drivelinebaseball.com slash plus to learn more. You can also find that link down in the show notes. As a Plus member myself for a number of years, I can't recommend it enough. I even just placed an order... (laughs) pretty much a few hours ago on some extra weighted baseballs for our team. In this episode, I am joined by the head football coach at Don Bosco Tech down in California, Roderick Curtis. I don't say this lightly. He's exactly the type of person I'd want coaching my own son. You'll see why in just a few moments. He is the epitome of coaching for the right reasons, and I am beyond excited to share this conversation with you. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 55 with Roderick Curtis. All right, I'm joined by Coach Curtis. Thanks for coming on the show with me. Thank you. It's good to be here. 
Uh, and I, I got to start here because when I, I originally w- w- kind of got introduced to you through Twitter, um, I saw on your your kind of profile that you're in the kind of the comic book scene. And so just doing some quick research, I found out not only are you kind of a writer or a creator, um, but you also host your own kind of comic book based podcast. Um, and it doesn't fit the traditional like stereotype of what a, a football coach would be like. Where did that kind of passion come from for you? Man, I don't think I ever really fit the the traditional um, stereotype of what a football player you know, was ever since the beginning. I, I I'm not sure that that uh, you know any type of stereo or like kind of framing of of a person in in terms of like what they do and attributing like that outside of 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 that arena, um, you know, tends to really kind of capture a whole person. So I was always into into art. Um, I was, I'm actually an art minor. I played division three football. So, you know, I, I played college football, but it wasn't on scholarship. It was always that, uh, um, you know, lean towards, you know, academics and, and the other things you want to do, do in life, even though we all played football at a fairly high level, you know, division three college football is, is still tough. It's a tough game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, was into art and, you know, kind of got into writing, you know, after college, uh, but really kind of sat down during the pandemic and really kind of, you know, dove into, into that pursuit. And, and the rest is kind of, kind of just kind of snowballed from there where I wrote a, a novel. Uh, I wanted to turn it into a comic and, you know, in terms of building my brand and getting, you know, marketing out there. Uh, started my own podcast, just talking about writing and and comic book development and just kind of uh, the creative pursuits in general. So um, I love football. I love coaching. Um, I'm a teacher as well, but but you know I'm really excited for for this other you know venture that I have, this comic book creation, and looking forward to Comic Con and being having my stuff <laughs> available at Comic Con pretty soon. I think it's something that's kind of cool for us on the West Coast in a really bizarre way because we had, you know, obviously on the West Coast, we were, we've been a little bit more locked down, I think, than most of the rest of the country had been throughout the pandemic. And so it gave a lot of us um, like the gift of time, I guess, in kind of a weird way where we could kind of go after some of our passions or pursuits. And so for like me, that's where this podcast was born out of is I've always kind of had this idea in my mind and I've wanted to do it and I just never really forced myself to have the time, I guess. And so it's been really neat to listen to different people, especially again on the West Coast, just because of the circumstances here um, and getting to hear what they what they did with that kind of gift of time that we were all given, that kind of momentarily pause that we all got. Yeah, yeah man, I, I agree. Like, like we, we never really were able to stop and just kind of take take, uh, you know, stock of life or what's important. You know, we were sitting and yeah, we were locked down on the West Coast like you you, you, they didn't want you to go to the store, you know, Uber Eats no. just like blew up, you That's know what right. I mean? So, so I'm just sitting in my house, man. And like, it was kind of like a necessary outlet, uh, you know, and now that things are kind of getting back and in, back into the flow, like you really, I think, I think a lot of people, I think like, you know, hiring is down. People are, are quitting because they're just like, I think there's this apprehension of going back to the things, mm-hmm. the way things were and, and people really starting to value important things like time and family. 
Well, yeah, exactly. And that's something I think that kind of kind of lends itself well for coaches because, um, I mean, you know what it's like when you get into, especially like football season and, and, and things like that, even off season, my gosh, the, the high school, high school coaching scene is, is very much a year round thing in a lot of aspects. And so, um, getting that pause and a chance for everybody to just kind of take a step back and reflect and try to figure out maybe ways they can do things, um, a little bit better, a little bit more efficiently, and to kind of create room for our passions and the things that we want to do. And then obviously, of course, like you mentioned, obviously, uh, family is a big part of that, too. But um, I think, obviously, the, it's not been a fun experience, the pandemic and what it's done to for, for a lot of people. And, you know, that's it's obviously harmed many people. But um, I think, ultimately, it probably ends up being a good thing in terms of what it's done for coaches, I think, specifically. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it really was a test of, you know, of, of a challenge to ourselves and like, what are you, gonna, what are you, how are you going to handle this? Oh, you mm-hmm. know, and that, that's coaching, that's sport, right? Adversity, yeah. right? And that's life too. But like that, that ability to just kind of stop and take, take, you know, stock of what's important. Like, I just remember before the pandemic, just not even understanding how burnt out I was on both ends. Mm-hmm. Just waking mm-hmm. up, going to work, coaching, and coming home and having, you know, forty-five minutes of of waking hours with my kids. Yep. Before you know they have to go to sleep and and you know do it all again, and then just kind of looking forward to weekends as like the only time where you can value what's the most important thing in your life. So like you know when the pandemic hit. Um, we had to make some real decisions like as a football program, because there was no guarantee we were going to have a football season that, that year that the pandemic hit. So like we had just started our off season and we were doing really good, really, you know, we, my first year there we went one in nine, but I had a, a all sophomore group and we were hitting that weight room hard, we're, you know, kicking up weights, you know, our, our PRs pretty, pretty, you know, quickly. And then the pandemic hit. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling my team, like, we're, we're going to figure something out. We actually hosted, um, virtual workouts in their living rooms and I was running them from my <laughs> living room every, you know, this was four days a week that I had them uh-huh. in their living room doing like some P90X type stuff and just like, just on it consistently with no guarantee that we were going to play. And just holding, you know, just letting them know, hey, if we have a chance to play, we'll, we're going to be ready. And we ended up having a two-game season, and we went one and one, but we we won that last game that really just kind of um, set us up for the success we had this year. It's been interesting hearing like what coaches did when that that happened because uh, so for me, I coach baseball up here in Oregon, and so we. We went on lockdown or, you know, everybody went home, quarantine, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was four days before our first game of the season. And I remember it was like, hey, we're going home for two weeks, right? That's what kind of people mm-hmm. said. And so so for the first two weeks, it's like, okay, here's some things to do. And then it got extended and it's like, all right, let's do these things. And then it was like, okay, we're not having a season at all. And it was just kind of a bizarre a bizarre time, obviously. Every coach kind of had to deal with it differently. But um, I think what, one of the cool things that came out of it is also seeing how – dedicated high school kids were 
when, like you mentioned, there was no guarantee that you'd even get a single game. And so you're having, you know, kids show up for these workouts four days a week. And like you said, zero guarantees that they get to play a single football game. And yet here they are logging in from their computers uh, mm-hmm. in their living rooms, like you said, like wanting to play. And so it just kind of goes to that point of like how important high school sports are for kids, like just in, in so many different ways, obviously. Oh, in, in many ways, especially at a place like like Bosco Tech or, you know, I, I play Division three football, a place like, you know, Pomona Pitzer, where the sport is really the only opportunity to give you something outside outside of academics, you know, it's extracurricular. Mm -hmm. And when I first got to Bosco, like, um, you know, there's, there's a a complete lack of, of internal physical confidence in the kids. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to recruit players. But when I first got there, we only had five players on the team. We had a a delay in hiring. So, you know, a lot of the players just left. It was already low turnout. So when I, I got there to introduce myself to the team, there was only five kids in front of me. Hmm. So, you know, having to to really advocate for football, advocate for sport, and to see, like, their excitement after winning a, a league championship, there is nothing academically that could have gave them that feeling of, of a physical accomplishment. Right. And back to, like, the stereotype, you know, where, where you know, athletes are kind of seen as, like, only that is only the physical pursuits, but it really encompasses, you know, all, all the mechanisms, mental, spiritual, and physical commitment, you know, overcoming and, and growth. So, you know, those guys just, just, just blossomed and they just hold themselves differently. They, they walk with their chin up. They're able to speak with, with more confidence to people. And that's something that I think sports gives, gives opportunity for it does. And it's something that I always think about this when I, as a coach, when you, and as a player too, obviously, when you, when something happens or you win a big game or a big moment and just that, that feeling, that physical feeling of just incredible excitement, jumping up and down, celebrating whatever, it, however it manifests for each individual, you don't really get that in any other aspects of your life, really. There's, there's not really a moment. Um, even like when you, you, you mentioned you wrote a novel, I, I assume when you when you finished that book, uh, there wasn't a huge physical manifestation of like jumping up and down and going crazy that you might get in a football game. It's just there's just something different about sports where, like you mentioned, it pulls in all these different parts of a human being and they go through all these different things. And you just don't get that same feeling outside of sports, as weird as as weird as that might sound. Yeah, I guess. yeah there's that collective energy. There's that collective pursuit like. You know, you, you in team sport, especially um, where there's no way you can accomplish anything like that great by yourself. So, you know, that, like I said, it goes beyond just a physical pursuit. There's a trust, there's a sacrifice, there's a, all, you know, all the, the elements to, to actually do something like that together that um, becomes like this shared experience that like, you're, you're jumping around, people are jumping on you because, like, you know what you went through to get here. Yeah. And you know exactly. that another team was literally fighting tooth and nail to keep you from it. Mm-hmm. Right. They, not even just the other team, like the other coaches, the other crowd, the other administration. Yep. Like, it all is, the other yeah, energy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All the other energy against yours and to, to you know, feel that triumph um, 
is is yeah there's really no way to describe it uh, and no other venture that can kind of substitute it so you you said you played at Pomona Pitzer. I, I I'm just <laughs> recalling back to when I was in college. I played at Pacific University baseball. It's a Division three school, also up here in Oregon. And we took uh, uh, one of our early trips in my freshman year. We went down to play at Pomona Pitzer, and uh, the first two days or first day got rained out. So we had to play a triple header, which obviously you don't really do in baseball. So we played three games in a row, and then we had to get on a bus immediately drive to the airport, get on the airport still in our baseball clothes and leave. So I have, wow. I have uh, good, but also really interesting memories of my, my time playing down at Pomona Pitzer. But Man, you um, came during the one time. Uh, it, it, it was really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what I. We, you go down to California. You're like, okay, well, there'll be no rain. Of course, that's why the coaches scheduled it in February because we're not going to get any rain down there. We get down there, we're rained out for two days, and then had to play a triple header. Luckily, it was nice and sunny on that last day, so we got a little bit of the California sun. But cool, cool. Uh, so I don't have the best memories of Pomona Pitzer, you know, in a really fun way though. So it's not nothing negative, obviously. Just it really good. Kind of uh, fun deal. Pomona so, Pitzer has a really good baseball program. Yeah, they've built it up quite a bit too, um, and they were good back then too. It's it's been it's been pretty cool to see. Um, it's kind of fun to watch the progression that Division three sports has had, even just in the last fifteen years, twenty years of um, I, not just D three, but like every single college sport now. It just seems like they're so good, and sometimes like even as a baseball coach, I'll see a kid commit to D three. And you're like, man, I, I know that kid can compete at the D1 level even. It's like the, just the talent level at the high schools now is just so good. And it's feeding into, obviously, the college level now. It's been really cool to see. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I want to take take us back to your own um, high school days. So going back to before Pomona Pitcher, um, before you got into college football, where did you go to high school? What was that experience like for you? So I um, – I- I grew up, I was born and raised in Bellflower, California. It's a suburb, maybe about, you know, 15 minutes outside of you know, downtown LA, kind of next to some of the more popular cities like Compton and Long Beach. So, um, you know, I, I play, I, I played since I was seven, you know, pop owner, uh, then played for the local high school. Um, I started varsity as a sophomore, um, took my lumps, and I, I experienced that again at, at the college level. Like it wasn't always just like, you know, you're, you're just the greatest, greatest, you know, thing since sliced bread. Um, <laughs> I, I played as a sophomore and I remember going up against, um, you know, just some really, like you talked about just the talent at the high school level, some really talented division one athletes as a sophomore and, and, you know, going through that transition from being the best, you know, pop owner and, and freshman player to like, almost a liability <laughs> on the varsity <laughs> level, you know, and, and having coaches be patient with me and seeing my potential and also showing those sparks um, to where, you know, my junior and senior year, you know, becoming, becoming that all league, all league player. Um, I was always small of stature. So like, you know, I, I always kind of played with a chip on my shoulder. I was a small corner, but I was always a big hitter and, and really played with a lot of, you know, zest and, and very feisty, so, uh, you know, I was always like you know, just a tackler and, and, you know, really would play a physical type of game out on, on the island with receivers, no matter how big they were. So that was kind of my approach to the game as a player, as well as being very cerebral. Like I, I, I was I was smaller. I was I didn't have track speed. Um, 
So I had to always like engage in problem solving on a play by play basis, you know, and there's always these little tells, right? How the, some, the quarterback always looks, looks to where he's going to throw, right? The receiver always is a little more excited when his number's called, Mm. Uh, you know, you know, linemen sitting, all those little things, you know, where, you know, how wide is a receiver, you know, is he kind of, giving him space to go in, how tight is he giving him space to go out? I would always be figuring those things out to where um, I, w- I was considered a little bit of a gambler, but it, I didn't see it that way. It was always like taking the information that's given and playing odds. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was very like um, always kind of beating the, the receiver to the ball. right? I, I was al- always kind of cutting off the deep route because I you know was able to kind of determine – those things by these little cues that were given away. So I actually took that into my coaching. So um, I, I wasn't heavily recruited you know, by big colleges. I started getting some D- division three interests, went to Pomona Pitcher, And it was so funny. Like the head coaches kind of gave that presumptive close, like, all right, man, we're gonna get you here. Like you're, you're going to be one of our guys. Like, and I was like, okay, <laughs> sure, sure. coach. Like, cause you know, just somebody showing that interest. Uh, and, exactly. And yeah. That confidence in me just was like really cool. And I'm like, like, man, I'm, I'll be here. Like, let's do it. <laughs> and plus it was just a beautiful campus. So just yeah. it was a no brainer for me. And I had the same experience as a freshman at, at the college level. So uh, I went to Pomona Pitzer and as a freshman, there was this growth Right. I, I, I went from being the best player and not giving up, you know, like, you know, maybe one one touchdown in a whole season. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as like, you know, you know, I'm counting catches from a whole season on one hand that are that are on me to literally like in in seven on seven, not being able to stop anybody. Like <laughs> the receivers are 20, 21 years old. The quarterbacks are legit like yeah. they, they run a curl and I can I can be on his hip but they're going to throw it down and away. I could be on his hip on a slant, but they're going to put it down in the ground. Like there's like, there was just a whole nother level and layer of, of skill that I had to get used to. So, um, you know, I, I took my lumps and started kind of making that, you know, showing some spark, but always kind of just learning. And then my sophomore, junior and senior year, I, I again became that player where, where it was back to being like a shutdown, you know, shutdown corner. It's funny because when you get to college, you, you don't really realize it probably when you're being recruited or, you know, when you're considering where to go. But when you get to college and you look around, like you're mentioning, there's there's really old guys around and they're playing on your team and they're really good and they've, they've got years of experience. And then you even look at the other freshmen that you're with and each one of them was probably uh, one of the you know best two or three players in their little community. And so you just get to this college experience feeling probably like you're the dude. And then you get there, obviously, and you're mentioning, you you know, like you kind of said back in your freshman year of high school, sophomore year of high school, you realize, you know, you've got work to do. You've got to learn some things. But um, the, the things you're kind of saying to me sound like somebody who was kind of destined in some sort of way to become a coach. Like just you, you mentioned your smaller stature, you're kind of being a little bit more cerebral of a player, really having to pay attention to some things rather than relying on, you know, you talk about like not having maybe natural track speed or anything like that. Um, Did you know when you were in high school or when you were in college that coaching is something that you were going to get into? Like how did, how did that transition come about from playing to coaching? 
Yeah, I as a as a high school player, I always knew that I wanted to become like a, a teacher and and a coach. So, you know, I I, I kind of had that forward lean and, you know, as a kind of a career destination ever since I was I was younger. I wanted to, I, I actually in my I, we'll get into this, but I, I actually went back to coach for my for my high school team and ended up achieving a great deal of success there. But I'll tell you when I knew I had the gift of coaching. And I was actually still a player at Pomona Pitcher. And what I what I did for my work study is I would like cut up film the old school way, but this is before huddle. Like you actually had to take the tape out of the recorder, put it into a you know a system and like mark the tape rewind it, play it, where it would cut it up into OD. So like I would cut up our practices. I'd cut up the game films and we were going up against Claremont, our rival. And they were undefeated this year. This was my sophomore year. And um, they ran this kind of triple I heavy, double tight offense and nobody could stop it. They beat Redlands. They beat everybody. They were playing us the last game of the season. They were ready to steamroll us and go into the playoffs. So I'm watching the film and their fullback had a tail where he was like even feet every time he went uh, left and he was split stance every time they went right. And like I noticed it on like the first three plays. No other team noticed this, the giveaway. And I told my my coach, his name is Coach DeMeo, um, I, I was like, man, they give away their play every single time. He didn't notice it when he was watching film. He's like, well, like, what? Like, let me see this. And like, he starts watching it and it's like, oh, like, wow. Like, okay. Watch a little more. And it's like, it was the entire game. It was all the films. So we slanted our defense to his feet. Nobody told him, like, we didn't give it away. We just, you know, just called it on the fly and we shut them down just in, completely in front of the play before they ran it. And we'd like upset them. It was a huge win and it was all big, you know, we, everybody kind of executed, but it was pretty much because of what I saw in the film room that day. So that, that was me taking what I do as a player into like a coaching Avenue for the first time. And I'll never forget. Nobody ever forgets that, that played Pomona Pitcher in that game. Uh, um, you know, how we, how we accomplished that. It's really cool that you have that to look back on, like an exact moment. Like you mentioned, you'd always wanted to be a coach. You kind of knew this is where you're heading. But to be able to have that moment where you you got to see something your own coaches didn't see in college to help win a, win a game, um, really cool that I don't think a lot of us ever – I certainly can't look back any time in my life and be like, oh, this is a, this is a moment where it really – it really showed me that I could be a coach. It just kind of like I had to become one and, and deal with it and move on. But um, that, that's pretty cool to have that to have that story to look back on. Yeah, man. It was, I, I've 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 really kind of uh, always looked to like kind of um, model that in in my coaching now, and I'm always looking for tells, and and I I still coach like that with a very keen eye for for um, you know for what what the team is is how I can play the odds, right? Back to, you know, just playing the odds mm-hmm. and, you know, what kind of giveaways can we take advantage of? I, I just, I had a really just, just special division three football playing experience. Um, I can never say like we were super great, but um, we had some really big wins. We beat Trinity um, who was ranked number three in the nation at the time we beat them. Um, my, I won my last game of my entire football playing career. We beat Redlands 
which my team hadn't beat for 17 years prior to that and hasn't beat them wow. since. And that was <laughs> 2005 or 2004, five season. And, and just to be able to like go out on top and just that lead changed in that game, I think four times in the fourth quarter. And so this is another like thing that I always kind of tell, tell my, you know, my players now and just, you know, the experience of overcoming adversity where like on that last drive, I think we hit fourth down like three times, like, and, and somebody stepped up, whether it was a receiver catching the ball over three people. I remember that play. I remember the play being broken down and the quarterback scrambling for barely a first down. You know what I mean? And, and, and they came back to drive and they caught the ball in the end zone that my safety ripped out of the hands for an interception to end, to end the game. Like every player had to be at the top of their game. Nobody could have doubted for any one second and still had the, the outcome that we had. So I always talk about, you know, how, we react when things are down and how you just, you just got to play. You got to step up and then let things fall where they may. Did you immediately get into high school coaching when you graduated? Did you coach at uh, college level for a little while? What was your transition from that last game? You finished your, your, your last year of college. What, what came next? I <clears throat> went directly back to my alma mater. Mm-hmm. So I, um, and it was it was funny. I I'm from Bellflower, so I had a lot of connections. Like the old principal <clears throat> knew the coach that was there, and I I you know told her I'm looking to, to go back. I ended up communicating with her some somehow before that happened. I think I I asked her for like a, a recommendation or something like that, and she's like, oh, I'm gonna call them. Like <laughs> she called him was like, uh, yeah, you're gonna have a, a coach coming coming to you like like uh, uh next you know next year he's gonna be there. You know he's about to graduate. So like he's like, oh. Okay, like, <laughs> like you know, you're uh, okay, like so. You know, I didn't have much of an interview. I pretty much just met him, and and you know, ended up being on the staff. But ever since I, I, you know, stepped on back onto the campus, I always wanted to give of myself. So I always had something to say. I always had some input. Whenever given the opportunity to talk after practice, I always gave some encouragement or some feedback, and. You know, I worked my way up from just, you know, the, the DB coach to, uh, in a, I think it was like my third or fourth year being named the DC um, and doing that for quite a while as the DC um, until I actually took over as an interim head coach. I was there for 12 years total. Now, when I first got to Bellflower, we, we had two rivals that just owned us, <clears throat> Mayfair High School had a decade long winning streak against us back going back to when I was in high school. And then La Mirada had a 27 year winning streak against us at Bellflower that went far back for generations to where like, we didn't even believe as a community that we would ever beat La Mirada. (laughs) So yeah, it was, it was that like entrenched to where one year, like we just like we're fed up and we said, you know what, we're going to pick La Mirada as our homecoming. Like that's how much we believe we're gonna flip it this year, and people thought we were absolutely crazy. They thought we were crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like, like the, our principal, our administration. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, and we're like, man, we're gonna pick them this year. We're gonna beat them. And we had a very similar game to like that Redlands game where the lead is changing. We're fighting, battling. You look on the sideline, even though we're down, nobody's 
has their head down. Nobody has those glossed eyes. <clears throat> and we upset a 27 year win streak on our homecoming. I think that was the year 20, that might've been 2011, 20, you know, 2008, I believe. I'm sorry, 2008. So like three years after I got there, um, we upset that two years after that, we beat Mayfair for the first time. And it, and it was, it was glorious. So like we really accomplished and we won, um, we want to share the league title for the first time in like 27 years at, at, at Bellflower when I got back. So I've always tried to have this type of impact on a program where like we can do things that we didn't previously think we could. Mm-hmm. When you can give, uh, when you can give high school kids that confidence, um, it's really big to where, like you're mentioning, when you can be in a position of adversity within a game and you can look at them and I know as coaches, we usually have that confidence of like, I know we can do this. I, I'm not really worried about it. But it's really hard sometimes to get kids to like truly believe in themselves and each other. And so when you can give kids that confidence, and like you're mentioning, you're, usually you can judge how good you are of a football team when you, you can check how many other teams choose you as their homecoming game, right? Or yeah. who doesn't. Um, and so when you do, like you're mentioning, bringing in a team that you, you haven't won against in forever and looking along the sideline and, and seeing your kids have confidence, like that's so big for kids. And it goes back to what we kind of talked about before of this idea of how sports are, it's so much bigger than just like playing a football game, right? It's just, um, it's really amazing when you can see kids have that confidence. Then obviously as coaches, you want them to then go off into life with that same sort of confidence and knowing that they can overcome the different adversities that they'll face in their life. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I kind of really explain to my, to my Bosco kids who are all really good students. They're, they're, you know, great character guys. I told them, you know, you, you don't need to be able to go into an interview and and carry yourself in a way that's that that exudes confidence. You know what I mean? You have to be able to be okay speaking about yourself in a way that gives other people uh, an ability to believe in you. And if you don't have it, if you, there's no way to fake that. That that has to be real. That has to come from some type of preparation and opportunities to overcome adversity, or else it's it's people are going to see right through that. And, and like you said, being able to take the lessons you learn outside of sport into things that are going to make your life better. So you're at Bellflower. Um, you mentioned you become the interim head coach. Um, how long were you there as the head coach from that point? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a whole story, which I would love. I'll, I'll share with you. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I was there. I built up a lot of, you know, uh, rapport in that community that, of which I was from sure. having those big wins. And then in a, in like 2000 and I'd say very recent, like 2015 high school football culture changed and they took out these, you know, the, the transfer epidemic really like really hit mm-hmm. hard around mm-hmm. 2015. So we went from like, we were seven and three, we, we really had a, a, a pretty good program, you know, towards, towards, you know, as we kind of had some of those wins, we really started getting the following. And then, um, you know, the CIF rules kind of changed and, and recruiting and these, these, um, you know, seven on seven programs started to flourish where like you have coaches like, Oh, come play at my high school. 
and they, and we actually lost a ton of talent in the transition between 2014 and 15. So I think, you know, our head coach just kind of, kind of got fed up um, and, and kind of left very late in, in our preparation season, like app, like post summer. Ooh. Yeah. Like, like That's really, tough. yeah. Like post summer where like we'd be coming in just into hell week and get ready for our first game oh, no. so after summer football. <laughs> so okay. they, they like, you know, the, team was about to about to crumble pretty much and you know the administration was you know kind of scrambling asking a few of the other coaches and then they're like you know asking me and I'm like I'm not gonna stay unless I'm the head coach like um I've um I knew uh, uh kind of I, I had a big part in kind of keeping that thing together so um we had lost all our players they hired me as I had to go through the interview process so you know, took a few interviews and they realized I'm, I'm ready for it. And as I got named, a few of the players started coming back. They, they came back, um, but it was still an uphill battle as far as numbers and just, you know, preparation. So, you know, I, I no, now the coaches said I had to hire a staff in like three weeks. I hired, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, people that I knew, um, you know, got some of those players to come back and we went, Three and seven, so not not a super successful season from a number standpoint, but uh, still keeping the program alive and 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 you know, um, you know the ability to to launch from there. So they put the job wire out again after that interim year. They didn't just hire me; they put a job wire out, and it was it was a sham. It was a sham kind of uh, uh, you know process because the head the the principal brought our rival head coach from Mayfair over to coach Bellflower, the coach that I said had a 10 year win streak against us uh-huh. that, you know, it was, it was, it was no love lost there. Uh-huh. Um, I bet he had a background with him and, and brought him out of retirement to basically take over the job that, that I had. So they hired, I, I, I'm, I'll tell you the full on story. Like I, you know, I, I interviewed, um, I thought I did very well. Like I walked out and he was, you know, he's older gentleman. Like he's just, just looks like he was almost asleep, you know, as he's ready to go into the interview after me, <laughs> I'm thinking like, man, I got this. There's no way, there's no way like that, that they're not going to give this to me. So they hire him and they hire him. And his first call is to me. And he, he says, you know, I, I really don't think this is going to work without you. Like what do I got to do to keep you to, to, to keep you. And I'm like, well, I'll, I'll co-head coach. He's like, uh, okay, like no brainer. Like, you know, let, let's do it. Um, it's an oil, oil and water type of relationship. You know, I'm, I'm a, <clears throat> a new school kind of coach and we can get into what that, what I think that means, but I'm a new school players coach and he was an old school traditional coach. So like he didn't want players if they didn't have like, you know, crew cut white socks he had them like running on the sideline where i'm like mm-hmm. i'm just glad you showed up like you know what i mean I'm, that's that's right. kind of me uh, i'll coach i'll coach who shows up and what they have on so long as it's you know they're, they're ready to play so we we had those types of clashes you know all through the season where you know i i, I actually couldn't i resigned after that year but that was my first year my first two years of head coaching experience was as an interim and then as a co-head coach so the next year i was actually kind of fed up um, and I'll, I'll, I don't want to get too deep into it, but like that was Colin Kaepernick year 
where where like they, there was a whole kneeling thing. Oh sure, yeah. And and a few of my players like kneeled, and like the principal just like flew off the off the wall, like pulled them off, like didn't let them play in the game. And I didn't really, you know, I didn't really like. I, I supported them, you know. I, I supported them in that, and just coached the game. We ended up winning, um, but like I didn't really appreciate, you know, how how that was handled. So I, I left the year and actually went to the rival school, which was had a had a coach that I had coached with at Bellflower, who got the head coach job there, who's still there now, and and he brought me over and and you know took over the defense or you know helped with the defense, and we won league. We went to the semifinals and it was nice. a really good experience in like being back in like a, a, a high caliber program and seeing what it's supposed to look like. Well, I'm glad you shared that because I think a lot of a lot of us have these rosy ideas of what high school sports are like from the coaching side. And a lot of what you just went into is what the reality is for a lot of people where um, I mean, just a lot of the things you mentioned, um, but, you know, specifically looking at two things. I mean, one is um, uh, the hiring process can sometimes and oftentimes be like the word used was sham, uh, where the, whoever's running the hiring process often already knows who they're going to hire. And it doesn't really matter how the interview process goes for maybe even better qualified people. Um, and then the second part you mentioned, which I think I, I think I'd, I'd like to get into, too, you mentioned the difference between kind of this old school, new school type of a feel. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, can you kind of define it just in your terms, what kind of a new school kind of players coach is to you? Yeah, I think we we all came up in this kind of accepting and, and it was kind of standard where the coach is really like uh, engaging in, in a lot of this like character building or what they see yeah. as like high character. So things like how you how you dress and how you, uh, you know, wear your hair, uh, you know, right. The things that you wear, you know, whether whether it's a a no wristband team or a, a high white sock only team as an interpretation of how committed you are to the program. Right. You know, and, and this discipline that goes along with that. Whereas if you don't meet this standard of, of what I, what I see as a high, you know, as a character uh, interpretation, now there's a punishment for it. And, and, you know, in some in some way like this attributes to how we play football so like um you know the old the old and and just how the 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 relationship the coach to player relationship where you know you probably wouldn't allow anybody to yell at you in any other facet of life but there's this acceptance that the coach is going to raise his voice if you jump off sides or fly off the handle if you you know if you make a mistake as a because because it, it's serious to him or it's more important to him um, and, and that's how he's ex- expressing that that um, you know that disappointment right whereas I feel like the newer approach really accepts the students um, character as, as as an interpretation of their individuality outside of the field and allows them to bring that personality onto the field. So there's a lot more, more, uh, you know, less, less of these like barriers of like, okay, you, you know, 
at a, at a program like Bellflower, we didn't provide you team issued socks. So I don't care if you come to practice with gray socks, white socks, mm-hmm. you know, high socks, low socks. If you want to put your socks over your, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you want to spat, <laughs> spat for practice, you know what I mean? Or, or look good in practice. Like, I don't care. Can you, you know, can you, can you understand what's going on? Can you do the things that are expected? And when you don't, there's a way that I communicate that that's different from, from the way I was, I was brought up. So I'm going to have a conversation. We're going to have a conversational tone. We may do a physical reminder, but I'm not, it's not meant, I'm, I'm not like, it's not a punishment. I may, you may do five push ups or something like that. It's just a physical reminder of, of what an expectation that you didn't meet. You're not rolling on the side of practice and wasting an hour of your time and mine because you didn't meet this sock. Because I think that's going to make some imposing, like, like, you know, impression on you to, to come, come in like mid crew cut socks. And, and now you're going to be able to catch the ball better. Right. (laughs) Now you're going to be able to run run faster because of that. Right. So I think there's, and I'm not, I don't want to knock all old school coaches, but there is a difference in the way these kids are, are brought up where, like I said, they're, they're not, it's not allowed in other aspects of their life. A teacher cannot just berate a kid because, because of some, you know, character or like personality that doesn't, that the teacher's not accepting. Right. Like where, you know, it was, it was kind of this old school, do what I say type of thing and not model what I not, not model what I do. So that's where I feel like I have fully went on into the, into the new school approach. And I can tell you how it really was important for my success at Bosco tech, because like I said, those are all good kids. Those are all like they have all have high academics. Um, they're not used to being yelled at. The, I, I heard stories of the last coaches trying to bring that old school mentality and, you know, calling them, you know, out their name because they, you know, maybe haven't acclimated to hitting, uh, you know, in, in, a, in the way they thought and just getting fired and really, you know, apprehensive to the entire culture at Bosco Tech. So that's what I mean by new school versus old school. Um, the, you know the the uh, you know Dick Buckus and then the old school you know you know just kind of tough guy mentality for football is not something that I really ascribe to. Like I said, I'm I'm an artist. <laughs> I'm a Division three uh, <laughs> Division three you know football player where you know the coach kind of knew that that we did more than just play football, and I really also take that and I always talk about them about things outside of football. Yeah, I think. I, I subscribe to that same uh, philosophy too. I think in in almost every single way that, in fact, every way that you just said, um, I, I try to do that as well. Um, from the all the way down to the yelling to, to whatever you want to wear, sort of a thing. Like it, it really doesn't. I agree with you. I don't know that it really matters. And I think with kids today, they have so many options, and they're so aware of all the different options that they have. To where even as an adult, like if I, if you, all of a sudden, I was a high school kid right now, and you had me in practice, and you were yelling at me, I'd probably just kind of be like, "Well, you know, I, I don't really need this. Like, if you're not going to treat me like a human being, like you mentioned, uh, that's not okay in any other part of my life for someone to just yell at me. Um, I, I, I've got a ton of other things, a ton of other options that I could go do instead of sit here and, and just be yelled at by you, and so." I think it really goes to that that concept of treating treating people like human beings, and it 
it for me that also applies like when you're thinking of like referees and how people kind of berate them too and it's kind of like well you know in what other aspect of life is this okay and the answer of course is is probably never um mm -hmm. And yeah, so I don't yeah. know. I, just... I, I really leaned into it. Um, so me, me and the that head coach, like it, it wouldn't have lasted more than a year because we were having these types of conversations sure, sure, all yeah. all the time. And I realized just, you know, this is just not going to work. And you know, he he says something to me. He's like, you know, if if you've ever been around a, you know, a, a successful program, you know that these things are important. I'm thinking back, like we beat you guys, <laughs> we beat you guys <laughs> two years ago. Like I don't right. want to hear that. Like I know my, I, we beat you and La Mirada. Like I know my style works, right? I know it can be successful. So I don't want to hear that. Like this is the only way to do it. Type type of thing, right? Um, you know, my my kids want to take a knee, right? Uh, they're they have a right to take a knee. They have an expression. They have things, you know, I had a player, a Mex you know, a Latino player. He's like, man, like, you know, the president is telling me like, you know, me and all my people are, are the way they're talking about, you know, me and my family. Like, I just felt like I wanted to take a knee and I'm like, good for you, man. Like, like, like that's, that's what you, you know, that's how you express. And, and we removed him from the game, but we can never remove his expression of, of how he felt and how he ex decided to do it. Right. So like I, 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 I really leaned into that as I took on the challenge of, of being at Bosco tech, because every, there's always something competing for their time. Like you're saying, mm -hmm. you know, they're there, I'm getting there. And if I'm counting days that they're missing or coming late, like I wouldn't have had a team. Because they always have, you know, this club, this ambassadors. I got to stay. I have a, I have a B in a class. I need to go talk to my teacher, right? And I never had the okay to like say, okay, you miss, you went to go talk to your teacher. You can't. You're out for a quarter, or, or you know, hey, you're gonna miss practice to go to some, you know, a, a you know, club, extracurricular club. Like you're not starting. I never. It, it was never felt like it was gonna be okay to do that at Bosco Tech. I barely had, I barely had five players out there. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. When you come out next time, man, I'm going to coach you up and I'm not going to like hold it against you. So like, I really kind of just kind of shocked any like old school, like mentality I had about that. Um, I had to kind of let it go and, and really adapt to the culture that was at Bosco tech. And, and I've leaned into it like fully where I prepare the next, it's, it's next guy up. So if you're missing, the next guy does have an opportunity to earn that spot. And if you come back and you know what you're doing and you, and, and you're back in rhythm um, and you, and you earn that spot in the next, you know, the next window, then you, then you'll have that spot. But now that next guy is that much more prepared. Sure. Right. And if you don't, then that guy earned that spot. And he had that opportunity fair, you know, fair, fair and square. Uh, but there's no yelling. There's no like, you're not going to play or like you have to sit out a quarter. There's none of that. It's, it's, very, um, you know, organic and everybody buys in because football is important to them. It's not the most important thing to them, but, uh, we figured out how to way to win a championship, you know, with that model. Well, and I don't know if you saw the clip, um, the, the, it was maybe a week or so ago, Draymond Green, it was the Golden State Warriors. Um, Draymond Green, um, had, was talking about how in the middle of the game, he and Steve Kerr, his coach, of course, got into kind of a, not an argument, but basically the, the gist of it was essentially that, 
um, when the Warriors players kept making mistakes, especially making turnovers, um, Draymond Green was getting upset because when they would look over to the bench to coach Kerr and the assistants, they were reacting to it in a really negative way, like putting their heads down, getting upset, cursing, yelling. Mm. And he, so he was really open in this press conference. It was really refreshing and cool to see where Draymond Green was telling all of us, you know, the reporters and, and the people and the kids watching that he ended up during the game having a conversation with Coach Kerr and telling him, look, man, you you want us to not turn the ball over when we turn the ball over and make a mistake and look over at you and you're exuding the opposite of confidence in us. It's not going to help us because now when we have the ball in our hands next time, we're going to be thinking, don't turn it over, don't turn it over, don't turn it over. And then we can't be free to make the plays we need to be able to make, of course. And so it really gets into what you were mentioning earlier of this idea of, of mistakes or yelling at people and the, the reactions and um, just the ability again to exude confidence, even in your teammates, like it just, it all flows really well into this conversation of this idea of what a kind of a quote unquote new school players coach is. Yeah. And that I, I, that's a, a perfect example of, of what I try to model from what Draymond was expecting of Kerr. So like, I don't go, my emotions don't, rise and fall with with the ebb and flow of a football of a football game right you're gonna you're gonna have plays that you make you're gonna have plays that you miss back to when i played at at and won that last game at redlands the lead changed four times in the fourth quarter down to where they were in the end zone for the go-ahead run and my player snatched it out of his hands for an interception like if at any point we would have like went down with the downs. There would have been no way to get, to get back to, to confidence. Right. So like I, I, that, that example is, is how I, how I coach. I do not go up and down. I am very stoic. Uh, it's very Dungy esque. I do take that from Dungy. Um, I do model a lot of excitement and, and personal encouragement from like a, yes. you know, Pete Carroll style of coaching. So I try to blend those two. I remember watching like the championship game where they won and like everybody jumped up and Tony Dungy like still had his arm crossed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, a little like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like they made me <laughs> smiles or something like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, just very stoic, like all the way to the end where like we won our championship game in overtime. Uh this uh for Bosco Tech, the, our league championship was an overtime game. And they were driving down to the end and like, you know, one of the offensive coaches like, come on, like, let, and I'm like, that is not going to help. That is, that is not going to help until the, none of that is going to help. Like let's, I'm always like a calming for like calm, 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 even in the eye of the storm, like we got to be calm. So we ended up stopping them, uh, won the coin flip and chose defense first. You know, they sparked off a few heavy runs, ended up, uh, you know, Pull, you know, getting them out, and and you know we we ended up just catching like a little slant and running it in for for a league championship first time in twenty years, and and just a validation that my that my approach and my demeanor, um, you know, it works. What a cool thing that must have been for everybody, the community, the players. But um, and this isn't a selfish thing, but especially for you because you you mentioned when you first. This is hard to believe because. It, football can't be played with five people and you you take over the program and like you mentioned kind of the first team meeting there's there's five student athletes in front of you 
And so to go from that to um, having a season that first year that you mentioned going one and nine, then of course year two, you've got all the pandemic, only end up getting a couple games in there. And then year three, you won the first league title for, for Bosco in, you know, like 20 years. Um, and you mentioned it feeling really validating. And I just, I think it, it had to have been because to go from five players in year one to winning a league championship, essentially two years later, because the, the pandemic year is hard to kind of count, um, must have been really special for you. Yeah. And now, you know, for, for your listeners, like it was, it was 100%, I won't say 100%, you know, much of that was manifested before I even started, before I even met the five kids. Like I, I was very deliberate. Like I wrote on a, on a, in a booklet, um, we're going to, the path to winning a championship. And I said, it was going to take three years. It's going to take three years to build up the culture. Um, that first year, uh, with those five players, I ended up, in, so I was recruiting the campus, but I'll tell you the conversation I had with those five players. I said, we were in the middle of the quad and I met, they came out. It was our first day of like spring practice and there was five of them. And I said, Everybody that's walking by is going to be looking at us to see how serious we're treating this. And that's, they're going to make a determination on whether they want to be part of that or not. So those five players, I was like, you know, we're going to start off with Tech Jacks. And I know there's only five of you, but it needs to sound like there's 50 of you. And you need to do it, you know, with 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 purpose and resolve. And that road that, that three-year road to a championship started with with tech jacks with five people and them though they're just buying into it and me treating them with respect i think people watch how i talk to them and they 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 saw how how you know hard those five players you know worked and how committed they were to where you know it, it turned in from five to eight to ten to twelve so now some of the players that maybe weren't sure if they were going to be playing, you know, the lacrosse team was bigger than the football team at that mm. point. So, you know, I, I, I hired the lacrosse coach to come on and said, Hey man, yeah, like, smart, you know, smart. Yep. That was, <laughs> that, was a, that was my first hire, the lacrosse coach. I was like, man, I, I need you over here. Like hopefully some of these guys come, some of them came and, and that was a conversation they had. Like, yeah, I see, like, I see what you're doing, coach. I see how you talk to them and I, I want to be, I want to be part of it. Um, a lot of resistance from as far as like the, you know, an old way of doing things. A lot of things that were like entrenched that mm-hmm. weren't really facilitating football growth. Like I had to just like focus in like, so I, I wasn't in the principal's office every, every week. Like I tried to stay out of the principal's office. Like I have everything I need. I got footballs. I got cones. I got players. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to coach. I'm going to coach them. Right. Um, to, to having assistant coaches that didn't believe in me that first year. And, and thought that there was something that I can do as a coach to push that three-year model up to like one year where like I, I'm, and I, I, I was, I would always like tell them like, dude, I'm not super coach and neither are you. Like I, we barely have a team. We're going to coach them. We're going to be positive with them. We're going to, we're going to build them up, but I'm not sure that we're going to win a championship this year, guys. And a lot of coaches really overvalue their, you know, what they can do in a time window that's given and think that there's some like special play or silver bullet drill, or like, if I had just done this instead of that, we would have been nine and one instead of one and nine. Right. So, you know, I had to let go of a few coaches that didn't understand the long-term 
you know, long-term you know, plan and just the incremental growth that, that was my direction to, to take them always in a positive. So that pandemic year, like I, I just stay, I, I didn't waver. I, I said, man, we're going to, we're going to work out. A lot of teams folded max, like, like a lot of the teams just couldn't figure out how to, how to do it. Where this year I've held that over our head. Like we have been doing this for, for two years. Verbum Day, who we played, you know, they didn't play the year before. They didn't have, they didn't do anything during the pandemic. So I'm telling my team, like, we're a year stronger than them. There's nothing that they can do in this net, you know, in this week of preparation for us that is going to make up for the eight months that we spent in our living room built. And it was measurable growth, like vertical, like 40 time push ups that they can do. Like their bodies changed over, over that pandemic year. To like where we were, we went from being one and nine and always less physical and less, you know, not as strong in condition to, you know, being in a league championship game, feeling like we can roll, we can lay on this team. We can roll them. We can get downhill on them. And that's how we won. We, we ran it in. We had more in the tank than they did at the end of the game. And it all came back to that pandemic year. So, you know, being just the adversity and the long-term plan and the manifestation, the other part is, is the grace of God and, and, you know, being, being healthy, having healthy players, having, you know, having those, those, you know, those opportunities to, to overcome adversity and then believe in your players to do it. Well, I, we've gone through an hour that literally felt like three minutes. Uh, we, we didn't get into senior night celebrations. We didn't get into team rules or standards or, um, oh my gosh, fundraising or parent involvement or community service or building leaders and it just it's it was an, an amazing conversation of just getting into what it really I think re- what it really means to be um, a coach of today's student athlete because like you mentioned I think it's a little bit different um, from when we were kids it's not that the kids changed right it's just that things are different than they were before and how we kind of address things have changed um, and I just. Uh, when I, like I mentioned at the start of the show, I, I just saw a tweet from you that just came across my timeline. And it really goes to, I think, the core of, of who you are. And I think people listening to this will kind of get it. Um, you wrote in that tweet essentially something along the lines of like, uh, my team won the first league championship in 20 years. And then he said something like, it was, it was my first league, league title also as a head coach. I don't know that you even had an exclamation mark in there. It was so just matter of fact, like we did it. And I think it, for some reason to me, just really encapsulates who you are as a coach just by listening to you speak. Like I would, my kid's only two, but if, if he, if he played for you, it would just be an honor, like just listening to you talk. And, um, I really think not that my opinion matters, but I really think you're doing things the right way for kids, um, which is what we're supposed to be here for. Um, so two things, one, um, you've got to come back. Uh, maybe in the spring or something, when you've had a time to digest the season a little bit more, and we can get into. Because I want to get into the other stuff too, because we've been really macro level today of of really getting into the heart of what it means to be a coach. But I want to get into the micro stuff with you too. Of like, okay, that's all amazing. How do you involve parents, right? How do you get into fundraising? So I'd love to if you'd have if you'd come back in the spring, uh, it would be a slam dunk. And two. Um, just to finish up today, I wanted to give the mic over to you one more time and just if you can finish with whatever you want, but 
shout people out, just, you know, sh- you know, share something maybe we missed that you want to get into or, or something. It doesn't matter, but um, just wanted to give you the microphone one one final time today. Definitely, and definitely pencil me in. You know, for, for spring, I, I'd love to to come back on and talk to you. I, I definitely want to. You know, I didn't do any of this alone. I, the the parents, you know, my the boosters, the kids themselves were just just awesome. The coaching staff. Um, you know, I, I, I took on a teaching job two weeks before, uh, the season. So like, um, I used to be like an hour early type of coach where now I'm coming <laughs> in after they've, they've already been lifting and like coming on, they're already on the field, which is really kind of different for me. So I, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to do this without the coaches kind of stepping up and filling in some of those spaces, but I'll leave you with the, you know, you know, with, even with the championship, the, the most uh, impactful aspect of this season, and I'll compare it to like another team and back to like, you know, how we value these kids as coaches. Like, you know, I was scouting a team. No, actually, no, this was during our game uh, where the other teams, like he was asking a player on special teams to move up and he, he, he didn't call them by their name. It's like 85 or, you know, scoot up, scoot up. And I, that just like really like kind of hurt me where like I know every single player on my team's name I call them by name no matter whether they they are the starter or literally down to probably not going to play in a varsity game because we don't have a JV team so everybody's varsity even like freshmen who are just picking up the game to where after that championship game I had one of those players like come up to me in tears and he's like coach like I've never had a team except me like I've always been the player that like since I'm not, you know, good and can't catch the ball, like where like the players and the coaches like don't value me, where on this team, like you you give me a chance. Like during pregame, like, you know, he's in the line with the starting running backs and like he caught the ball. I I'm all about pregame and everybody looking good and, and showing, you know, showing where like you know, I didn't like pull him out of line or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> dude, you're up, you're right after the starter or the starting group and you're going to go run that route and catch it where, and I knew it was so important for him to catch those balls in those pregame opportunities. And he came up after me in tears and just like, gave me like a, just a huge hug. Like, like, thank you. He felt so valued. And it was the juxtaposition to the other team, like calling a player by their number and asking them to do something and I just felt like this is why I do this because this player, he like you talk about that physical validation and how that affects somebody's mentality, their spiritual growth through a game and an opportunity like football. Right? That is that is what the conversation and the player that kind of left a huge impact on me. And he didn't even play in a game, but he was a huge part of the team. It's it, and this is why I do this, and this is why I kind of started this podcast is because I wanted to get voices like yours into more coaches' ears because I think we all, as high school coaches, have so much to offer other coaches, and so often, as you probably know, we get stuck in our own little world coaching, and we don't we don't get to hear from you know a coach that might be two thousand miles away coaching at Bosco Tech. Like we, you just don't know all the amazing coaches and humans that are out there like helping kids every single day. And like we've obviously gotten to over the course of this conversation, it's about so much more than football or baseball or a game or sport or lacrosse or whatever it might be. Uh, it's, and it sounds like a cliche, but it's, it's really about life. And I just, 
I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I, I mean it truly. Like I really appreciate what you're doing for kids. And I, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing a little bit about it. And I'm super excited to have you back this spring. So Coach Curtis, thank you so much. Thank you, Max. Yeah, pencil me in, man. I'd love to come back. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Roderick Curtis is a stud. If you didn't already know, now you obviously do. Just totally and completely invested in his kids for all the right reasons. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter, or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And wherever you're listening, please hit that subscribe button. Most importantly, though, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, please share this thing on social media to your followers, via email to your fellow coaches, or to the old-fashioned word of mouth. doesn't matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Coach Curtis for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros and Driveline Plus for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's all I got. You are awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. Happy Thanksgiving. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.